Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom are still alive, the some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to the, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Amen. Today, we're talking about a topic that we'll be talking about again in about two weeks. And that we probably should be talking about pretty much every time we meet together. We're talking about Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Now, we are still within women in the story of Scripture. We're still teaching on women. And there's a reason for this. Who were the first witnesses to Christ's resurrection? Anyone? Women, right? Women. Now, we discuss the resurrection for many reasons. One of the which is this. It's because it is actually the foundation stone of our faith. It is what our faith is based off of. Fun story, this is something that we sometimes miss within the evangelical church. We focus so heavily on Christ's death that sometimes we forget that his death was actually not the most important part, at least according to scriptures. As we read the scriptures, his death, while important, was not the most important part. It was his resurrection that mattered the most. Our faith is not in his death, it's in his resurrection. Because in that, we have hope that we will live again as well. This can be a thing that is sometimes easy to forget. I'm reading a book right now that's quite popular, and it teaches about how churches can have and develop good theological insight and make sure that their their teaching is based off of things like the gospel. And it it outlines the gospel in this way. It outlines creation. Yes, an important part of the gospel. It outlines the fall of man. Yes, an important part of the gospel. It outlines the state that we were in because of it. It outlines Christ and the fact that he was perfect. It outlines his substitutionary death for us. And then it steps on to our future hope. The gospel that they discuss doesn't mention Christ's resurrection. Which is interesting because, yes, Christ died, but that is actually not the most remarkable part about his life. We all die. The remarkable part about his death is that it was not permanent and that he came back. Let's read together. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, we see this. Following Christ's crucifixion. This is following the crucifixion and the the period of time where he had spent days in the grave, okay? After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. 
the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Following Jesus' death, his followers were shook to the core. They were worried about what was happening in their lives. They had put their faith in this man that he was going to do great things, then he died. He died as a traitor. He died as an insurrectionist. They were expecting him to take over Jerusalem to establish the kingdom of a God in a visible way. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were wholly expecting him to certainly not be overthrown by the government. That's what they saw. They saw him die. As we read, not only did they see him die, but many of his disciples beforehand fled, ran away, were scared of what, he had, what they had seen. They didn't want to be actually tied to Jesus in that way. They were horrified. This is why his closest disciples abandoned him, forsook him, claimed to never know him. My apologies. Can uh, Zach, can you do me a favor? In the bookshelf of my office, about the first one when he went out the door, about five shelves down, there's a bag of Jolly Ranchers. Can you grab one for me? I prefer the sour apple ones. Yeah, but basically anything so that my throat will not continue seizing up on me. If y'all wouldn't mind tossing up a quick prayer if you're thinking about it. I'm actually kind of sick, and it's actually in the back of my throat. So as I'm talking more, it's getting worse and worse and hurting a little bit more. So I'm losing the ability to talk. Anywho, his disciples grew afraid. They abandoned him to the point they didn't just abandon him. They didn't just run away. Some of them actively denied him. His closest actively denied him. Several of his disciples were present whenever he was being crucified. But really only one or two of the men, and the ones who were really there, the ones who really stuck around, were many of the women who followed him. His mom, Mary Magdalene, Salome, very likely. The other Mary, which I'm assuming is Mary of Bethany, but we're not actually sure because she's not named in that way. So three Marys, right? They were the ones who stuck by him during his death. They were the ones who, following his death, uh, took on the role of preparing his body for death. They were willing to do so. It began right after he was pulled down from the cross, and they were going back following the Sabbath day to finish this work. So as they're going back, this isn't going to work. It's much too big. Much too big. (sighs) Luckily, as we were talking about today in Sunday school, I don't have to be perfect because Jesus is, right? So you're welcome. This is just a demonstration of the fact that you don't have to be perfect. Enjoy. The women stuck with him. They were going back to prepare his body for death. And as they were going to do so, they stepped to his tomb and they noticed something very, very obvious. The tombstone, the cover over his tomb was rolled away. 
Now, if you don't know about tombs in this era, usually they were cut into the side of a, a cave. They were not where bodies stayed permanently. You would place a body in there until it basically decomposed. Then you would remove and inter the bones somewhere else, then use the grave again, okay? But during that process, whenever it's ongoing, they would have a gravestone rolled in place. Gravestones were large, usually over a ton. Uh, they were basically boulders, and they were set up so that there would be the actual grave itself, an opening, right? And there would be a, a pit right before the opening for the boulder to sit in, and you would push the boulder into it. So it would drop down a little bit and stick and seal the, the door, and it couldn't easily roll away. So they're going there. Probably actually didn't have a great plan for how they were going to get into his tomb to begin finishing the process of preparing his body. They were going to try and figure out something. But when they get there, they discover that the gravestone is rolled away. And this, obviously, distresses them because they were worried that people were going to steal Jesus' body and go and probably use it for display. To be honest, Romans, whenever they were crucifying people, if they were really crucifying insurrectionists, they had a nasty habit of displaying the bodies after death so that people would know not to insurrect again. So they were worried because someone had taken their master's body but it's a group of women who are standing there. This is notable in this culture. Every gospel lists the fact that the primary witnesses of Christ's resurrection were women. Why would this be notable in their culture? In their culture, for legal purposes, to demonstrate something actually happened, it required a couple of things. You needed a multitude of witnesses, and women basically didn't count. You had to have two men see something for something to count as legally provable. All four Gospels reiterate the fact that it was a group of women who saw him first. This is interesting, guys. If we were going to make up a story, if I were trying to make up a story, proving how plausible something is that happened, if I'm trying to say, look at this, what occurred over here. We saw that it was not me who robbed the quickie mart, right? Because I can prove it because I was seen over here. If I were just making up that story, I would probably make it up with someone like, two or three police officers, a judge, security camera, uh, biometric scanners, whatever. I'd make up something and people are like, yeah, I trust that. I wouldn't point out to someone that we have no faith in, look, there was a two-year-old child over here who can properly identify me, or a person you would have no faith in, that person who was passed out drunk. They can identify me. If I'm going to make it up, I'm going to make up something believable, right? Why would they put down that women were the first one to see Jesus if they were making it up? wouldn't. So why would they put down the women were the first ones to see Jesus? Because it happened that way. That's the obvious one, right? It actually occurred that way. Women were the first ones to see Jesus. Each of the Gospels record that women were the first ones to see Jesus following his resurrection. They each recorded in slightly different ways. Matthew only talks, Mark only talks about the empty tomb, right? So the first ones to witness the empty tomb. Matthew and Luke both have women being the ones to see the empty tomb first, and it knows three or more women who were there. Uh, and then John specifically only talks about one of the women who was there. In each of those cases, one of the present women was a young lady named Mary Magdalene. You heard of her? Yeah. We all know about Mary Magdalene, right? I've read the Da Vinci Code. I understand. Right? Jesus' wife, progeny of the last Zion. I don't know. Whatever. Sorry, now I'm stepping into dogma more. That's probably not appropriate. 
Mary Magdalene. We have some historical things that we believe about her. We have some things we can know from the Bible. Those two don't always match up. What people say about Mary Magdalene is not what the Bible tends to speak of. For example, in the Bible, she is never noted to be a prostitute. She's not. There are a couple things that would actively point out she probably wasn't. She traveled around with Herod Stewart's wife through Galilee, and that kind of person usually wouldn't just hang out with prostitutes. And there's nothing within the scriptures that say that she was anything like that. Side note, would it matter if she was? No. Jesus didn't seem to draw his disciples from a certain group of people. He wasn't looking for the best of the best or the most religiously thought of or the most people who seemed the most righteous. He just grabbed people. It doesn't matter what she was. Who we were has very little bearing on who we are in Christ. Almost none. Basically none. Who I was has no bearing on who I am in Christ. Who she was has no bearing on who she was in Christ. It's interesting that she has very little backstory. But we can hear a lot about what she did. We know she's not the same as the Mary who's Mary and Martha. They're two different people. Luke introduced them two separate ways. She's not the other Mary that was there who's James and Joseph's mom. Same deal. Luke mentions them in different ways. She likely, well, we know that she was someone who at some point had seven demons cast out of her. We don't know what was going on with that. We don't know why they're all so particular about seven. We don't know what those demons were doing to her. We don't know if she was someone who just was like the epileptic people who had demons cast out of them and who became whole again, or if she was someone who had something like the hulking rage person who was the legion guy who could rip apart chains and was scaring everybody. We don't know what her story was. We got nothing. But Christ cast demons out of her. We know that. We know that in Galilee, she traveled with Jesus, and she took part in his ministry in Galilee as he was moving around and proclaiming his kingdom. We know that she supported his ministry financially. In Luke, she's one of the women noted as those who are supporting Christ out of her means. We know that as Jesus went to Jerusalem and began to proclaim his kingdom coming into the, into the capital, that Mary Magdalene went with him. We know that as Jesus was being caught, captured, bound, and arrested, that Mary was there as well. We know that as he was being crucified, Mary Magdalene stood at his side. And we know that whenever he resurrected, she was there. Mary Magdalene was present for pretty much every important aspect of Christ's earthly ministry. She was around him and with him, and she was one of his disciples. No one in their culture would read this story and not realize that Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Christ. She followed him. She taught like he taught. She learned about him. She was his disciple. Now this Mary, one morning, she is going to see her master's grave, going to prepare him for death, to give him an honorable farewell, to treat him with respect that she felt he was due, something that many of his other disciples did not do. They didn't take part in this aspect. Some of them fleed and ran away already. Many of them returned to Galilee. They ran. And while she is there, an angel appears, or angels appear, and proclaim to her that Christ is risen. And she hears this word, and she gets excited. And then as she is going to leave, she sees somebody. And depending on how you read the Gospels together, she learns he's Jesus. She recognizes him and sees him, and realizes he is her master. 
and he gives her a commission. Go forth and tell the others what you have seen. If the resurrection is central to our faith, it's pretty remarkable that the first one to have full knowledge of it and to carry it away from Christ is one of his female disciples. Mary was known as the apostle to the apostles. She was the one sent by Christ to proclaim to the ones who were going to be sent by Christ to proclaim. These women's faith, their willingness to identify themselves with Christ is one of the reasons why we can know about him. Could Jesus have told the disciples otherwise? Certainly. He shows up to them in different places. He chose to send these women first. We can take from their example things about ourselves. They fully participated in his ministry. They fully identified him with him in death. They fully identified with his resurrection. They were present whenever he was living. They were present with him whenever he died. They were present with him whenever he rose again. They were present with the other disciples in the upper room when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Christ proclaims himself through them. Christ proclaims himself through them. We can proclaim him in the same way they did. When we read about these stories of of historical figures that surrounded Christ, we can recognize two things. One, A, the perfect part, we are not Jesus. They were imperfect. Mary was imperfect. Peter was imperfect. Paul was imperfect. They were all flawed individuals. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning again, we learned that following the flood, everything basically reverted to just like it was whenever Adam first messed up. Humanity didn't change at all. The flood didn't fix the problem because we're the problem in the world, right? We are broken, flawed individuals who, in our very nature, will not go seek to glorify God. We'll seek to glorify ourselves and to please ourselves. It's what we do. So did they. Everyone besides Christ who read about in Scripture had the same negative attributes. That's why we can see things like Peter freaking out and running away from Jesus. That's why we can see people having common misunderstandings of who Jesus is or what he's saying. This is why we can see people just completely missing what Christ is teaching about himself in the Gospels. Because we're all flawed individuals. But he is not. He's perfect. And so I pleased. It is my pleasure to proclaim to you today the same message that Christ gave them to proclaim. He is risen. His death is not the end, and your death is not the end either. Because of him, you can have life. His death purchased you back from the grave. His life gives you new life. It's by his resurrection he defeats sin and death forever. This is why whenever Paul writes in Romans what it takes to be saved, he says you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? And you must believe in your heart that he rose from the grave. You're confessing that he is who he says he is, the Lord of the world, the one who reigns over all and who reigns over every aspect of your life. And you must believe in his resurrection. You must recognize that he did what he said he was going to do. He accomplished what he said he would accomplish, and that by his power, we have been healed. This is where salvation comes from, guys. It's from him. As we look at anybody in Scripture, male, female, we look at them through the lens of those who know what Christ is going to accomplish. 
how he's going to use them, how he's going to proclaim them. And Christ often used women to proclaim his glory nearly as often as he used men because he's the focal point and we're all just his tools. We're the ones that he uses to glorify himself. This is why we exist. So men, you can glorify Jesus with your life. Women, you can glorify Jesus with your life. That glorification can take many roles, but we all subordinate ourselves to him. He's the one that matters, not us. Right? Over these past several weeks, we've spent a lot of time simply showing the ways in which God glorified himself through women in Scripture. And the next time, following Holy Week, we're going to be doing something similar, but instead of women, we're going to be doing prophets. So we're going to demonstrate how Christ glorified himself through the prophets. We're going to be taking, (laughs) this is going to be rough, just so you all know, we're going to be working through each week an individual prophet's book. And so we're going to attempt to teach the context and what is being taught, the main thrust of a different prophet every week. By the end of this time period, you will have heard many of the prophets' voices. Not all of them, we're not doing all of them, but many of the prophets' voices. And you will have heard the basic message they're teaching and how that message proclaims the coming Christ. Guys, we're going to teach about him and not about ourselves. Right? Now, I said we were going to have a slightly shorter sermon today. We've talked slightly about the resurrection today. If you'd like to hear more about it, hint, we're going to be talking about it in about two weeks for some reason. We're going to be focusing specifically on how John outlines the resurrection during Easter. It'll be interesting and it'll be fun. If you'd like to read ahead, read the last couple chapters of John. Familiarize yourself with Christ's story. Familiarize yourself with his resurrection and the way in which he proclaimed himself to his people. He is the one we are seeking, even when we don't realize it. Make sense? All right. Let's take a second and pray. I'm going to invite Zach up to do communion. Following communion, we're going to worship one more time. Following that period of worship, we're going to have a time where a couple of our youth group kids are going to have a chance to proclaim Christ themselves. They'll just get to speak about what he's doing in their lives. Make sense? Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection. Father, we praise you for the fact that you have overcome the grave, that by your life you have beaten death. I pray that you would allow us to recognize just how good and glorious and wonderful your life is. Father, thank you for it. I pray that as we sit today, as we partake in communion today, May you remember not just your death, but also your life. May you remember the fact that you have overcome sin, death, and the grave. And that, Lord God, you are glorious. May we recognize your goodness. May we pour ourselves out to you. And, Lord Jesus, may your will be done. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for these people. I praise you for the fact that you are glorifying yourself through them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be with Zach as he speaks, that you would be with, uh, oh goodness, it's Abby and Eden, right? Abby and Eden are coming up, right? Pray to be with Abby and Eden as they speak. And Lord God, give your wisdom to these people that they can proclaim you well. I thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So to give you background on what we're doing today.
at youth group a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. we talked about um, all the stuff that had been going on in schools recently, and that was, I don't know, not quite a month ago. So, um, yeah, like two weeks ago. So um, there were, there's just been a lot of like violence and unease in the schools recently. And we thought it was important to talk about that. So we took a break from our lesson and discussed it and kind of found out that sometimes, so the other youth leaders, Sama and I both work in the schools, but sometimes when adults listen instead of talk, we learn more from the youth than what we could offer them. So then we started thinking about maybe it would be good to let all of you hear a little bit about, about what we talked about and it would be a good way to address as a church um, the thoughts of um, kind of our youth and support them and listen to them. So we came up with a few questions to ask them. I just wanted to say something real quick. It feels so official. It's like you're, it's like an on-air interview <laughs> on today's show with Abby and Ian Dave. Louder. Can't hear me. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to say I'm I'm really proud of Abby and Eden, and uh, I guess I wasn't holding it close enough. So uh, I, I'm really proud of these girls, and it's really a pleasure to have them as part of our youth group. And um, they are uh, unashamedly pursuers of Christ. And it's not to say that they don't struggle, but they're open about that, and um, they're open about uh, wanting to become closer to Christ. So. I just wanted to give them props before we get started here. They're awesome, and you're going to see that. So the first question we wanted to ask you guys is, what do you think is the reason so many threats and violent threats, I guess, have been happening in schools recently? I mean, um, okay. Um, Well, there isn't one reason, but to gather it up... um, People are empty inside. They don't know what they're doing. Um, they think that it's okay to say things to hurt people because they want to become, I don't know, known for themselves, I guess, anything. And so it, it's crazy what people do just to become um, famous or something. But um, it happens a lot at my school. I've seen um, because they joke about it. They don't know what they're saying. And it's really frustrating towards me as a Christian because you, don't just, you just don't spit out things like that. You just don't say, I want to kill someone just because you want someone to think you're cool. It's not how it works. So I guess that's it. Um, I would say, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not used to that. Um, I would say that, like, every person's different with, like, the fact where they their breaking point is. Um, someone's breaking point could be them not talking to them for, like, you you walking in and no one says something to you. Um, you're new to a place and no one says anything to you. Um, that could be their breaking point. They could go home and, you know, they could want to hurt themselves because of that. But then another person, you could say things for them for years and years. You could say repeatedly every single day that you hate them and they wouldn't they would break, you know, just, and, and when you are on the outside looking in, you always think, like, oh, why is that person so, like, emotional, or, like, you know, um, take things 
hard where, you know, but each person's different with the way they think and the way, the point that they break at. And so I guess certain kids have a, a breaking point and they don't know what to do with that. They don't have good leadership. They don't have good people to talk to. They don't have open people who listen to them. And I think that's what we all need is someone to listen. And it's not even kids. It's adults too. I mean, I think that just people are broken and they just need something else. They don't need any more hate because I go to school every day and there are people from broken places and it's crazy the situation some of these kids come from. And so I think that, um, yeah, just like Abby said, that everybody has a breaking point and that we should be careful what we say and what we do. You guys both kind of answered this, but what do you think you're called to do about that, or what could we do about that? Um, um, I, the other day, or the other week at uh, youth group, uh, our other leader, Sama, she was a um, very wise woman. Um, yeah, she's amazing. And um, she had said something about how we, can, we can't save them, we can't, we can't, you know, save their life, but we can, we can point them to someone who can. Um, and obviously God can, can, um, step in in awesome ways and more than anything we could do. We are here to be support systems and not, not saviors. There's only one savior. We can't do it. Um, I guess my major thing, well, not really guess, but I kind of thought this through. Um, uh, (laughs) My major thing is love. And as Christians, everybody is called to love. Um, and this is a really big factor. And sometimes we hide. I was talking to my mom the other day. Um, this popped in my mind. But people hide behind praying. And it's the honest truth. You know, we hide behind, oh, I'm going to pray for this person. Pray every night for this person. Pray, pray, pray. Which is good. Pray for them. But also go up to them. Say, hey, how you doing? How's your sister? You know, like just say random things and make them feel, yeah, not random things, but um, (laughs) make them feel, I don't know, just needed and wanted. Um, I actually put up a scripture verse. What's up now? Um, So (laughs) I was going to do like the um, stereotypical, like uh, love, joy, peace, thankfulness, kindness. But then I realized, um, we were talking in uh, Bible study the other week ago, like probably a month ago, actually, how you should, how you should um, read the whole chapter through. And because sometimes a thought uh, isn't, like, clumped in one section. So I was like, okay. And I actually found a different one um, by reading the whole scripture, so I'll read it to you. Um, <laughs> it's Galatians 5.13. I'm using the ESV version, but um, for you... We're called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So, (laughs) I really thought that this was, like, on point. Because, uh, yeah. (laughs) Because I cannot believe, like, I can't even fathom, I was talking about this, Thursday night. I cannot believe how selfish I am. How many minutes that I take 
in front of my mirror, looking at my face, covering up my makeup, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, and how much we spend on our self-image is just blowing my mind. And so if we spent that much time going up to people, talking to people, saying, I love you for you, think of how much the world would be different. If we spent probably, I don't know, five minutes a day talking to that person on the bus or, I don't know, like, I don't know what you adults do, you know. (laughs) Don't ask me. I'm only, like, 13, but, um, yeah, you know, whatever, at college or I don't know what you do, work, coworkers, but (laughs) I don't know. Um, But if you spent that much time talking to people, actually asking them about their lives instead of spending it somewhere else doing what you want I think that that everybody would probably change for the better and that this would be a much more loving community so I think um some of us are already doing that I mean who knows I don't know what you guys do I don't don't have Facebook my mom won't let me but um (laughs) (laughs) so spread some love there too but um I guess love and pray you know, pray for him, but love. All right, last question here for you guys. Uh, you mentioned before you have had people talk about being depressed or suicidal, um, talking to you about that. What do you do with that, and does that weigh on you? Um, um, I'm going to tell a story, I guess. And um, um, It was about maybe a year ago, maybe less than a year ago. Um, my friend, I got a text, um, and my friend said that her boyfriend had broke up with her. And she's one of the people who kind of feel like she needs someone a lot because um, she never really had. Yeah, she's very dependent on, like, guys or feels like she needs to have a boyfriend um, at all, all times. So um, when she told me that, and she texted me that, like, that she was really sad and she, she was, like, um, I don't know, like depressed, and um, I'd known before that that she 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 cut herself. She had marks all the way up her arms, up her legs. She burned herself with her iron on purpose um, because she had never felt loved, or she never thought she had felt loved, um, which really like hurt me because I love her and I know how much she means to me and how much of a person, like an amazing person, she is. Um, so to see her do that to herself. It, I mean, it's crazy, but um, she had called, or she texted me, and so I was upstairs, um, like, getting ready for, or, like, in bed, and I ran, Eden was asleep, I ran downstairs, I was, I told my mom, I was like, mom, start the car, we're go. we need to go, we're leaving, like, I don't care, if it, it was a school night, too, I was like, I had to go, you know, school early in the morning, um, but I was like, mom, start the car, we need to, like, leave, and she was like, no, 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 you know, like, it's school night, she's, she's, you know, gonna try to go to bed, and, you know, all that stuff, and, um, I was like, no, mom, listen, we need to go now, like, I need to be with my friend, I know what she's going to do to herself, um, if I'm not there, um, and she was like, and she, my mom basically, like, reinsured me, and she was like, well, her aunt, she lives with her aunt, and she said, um, like, her aunt is gonna take care of it, and, and I, like, couldn't I, I me being me I like I when there's a problem I want to fix it like I I'm very much of like a fixer and like um 
care for people a lot. And so I called her on, on the phone. And um, I, was like, I was, like, crying at this point. And I said, um, like, I love you, you know. I was, like, I, I care for you. And, like, it doesn't matter what these guy thinks or, like, you know. Um, and she said she really appreciated it and that she wasn't going to do anything to herself. And um, I, like, made sure her aunt, like, was with her and because um, that made me feel better. If I couldn't be with her, um, I needed somebody to be there with her to help her through those things. So, yeah, it does definitely weigh on me, and it weighs on, like, everyone. And um, it doesn't really matter how old you are. There's always people in your life that you could, you know, call up, honestly, just call them and just say, I love you, you know, how much that can change somebody, change, like, anything, you know. Uh, Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I mean, like, like, wow. That's probably, like, that was the first time I heard that story, so, wow. Um, Anyway, um, so, yes, I I have a similar experiences to that, and I... uh, I actually just deal with that recently. Um, not myself, but my, one of my best friends. Um, she is just, her life is crap. She's so broken. And um, she does things to herself that you couldn't even, I mean, I can't even fathom. And it does weigh on you. I constantly, I have this anchor every time I wake up in the morning with a smile. I pray to God, I'm like, thank you for keeping me alive. Because I know that there are people who are not alive right now. They took their own life. And it's it's just, I don't know, it weighs on you a lot. When you know people, tons and tons and tons of people, in my grade alone, there's probably, I don't know, let's say half the, half the grade is thinking about suicide thinking about depression, thinking about how they just want to be away from this world. And it's so sad. I'm going to try not to cry, but it's so sad um, because I want to, I'm a doer too. I want to fix things and I want to change things for the better. And I don't want people to be broken anymore. And we have to face this real reality that this world isn't butterflies and rainbows. It's not. It's death and depression and sadness all the time circling. And so me as a Christian and all of us, I, like I said before, we can change things. It doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to live in fear that someone like my best friend or her best friend is going to kill themselves. We don't have to do that anymore if we just say, Hi, how are you? I love you. I'm glad that you are alive. We don't have to quiver in fear because God, I mean, he's there for us. He created us. He knitted us in our mother's womb. You know, I love that. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you can remind someone that, it's amazing what you can do. I mean, I mean, it just... It weighs on you. And <laughs> just trying not to cry, but it's just, yeah. So be a little sunshine, I guess. <laughs>
Yeah, thank you guys so much for being uh, having the courage to come up here and and share. Uh, uh, I think without goes without saying that um, your perspective is appreciated, and uh, it uh, is it means a lot just to hear you guys um, share about those things. And I'm sure we're all going to take some away from this. So thanks, thanks very much, guys, for for doing this.